the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic's Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, welcome again uh, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, as always, Alan Dempsey does our engineering, does it superbly. Uh, Andrew Herdliska is our producer. Uh, Gene Edwards is with us from Jacksonville. He's our first guest. And uh, we're going to talk about his book, simply called Stories I Love to Tell. Uh, Gene, it's nice to visit with you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Uh, you're no- been here. Gene, you're known as a master storyteller. Uh, where did your love of stories begin? Uh, okay, I'm not real sure what your question was. There was a noise. Just Gene, you you're, you're known, Gene, as a master storyteller. And? Where, where did your interest and love of stories begin? Do you remember? Oh, yes. Uh, it runs in the family. All my people are Cajuns. And from Louisiana, though I'm from Texas, and they just love to tell stories. My mother, in the meantime, who was uh, a real literary authority, told me stories, complete stories, beautiful stories. And then all through the day, she'd be quoting many, anyone from Dante and Shakespeare and referring to plays or... Uh, dramas of certain kinds, so I was getting it through both ears. My father, in turn, almost never said anything, but he he loved to listen to my mother tell her stories. Mm -hmm. So I guess it kind of runs in the blood. Uh, And besides that, I made note of the fact that the God who made heaven and earth is not very scientific. He came to Earth and told stories, and which I consider amazing. He was the only time he ever used a three-syllable word. This is this is a fact. Was when he pronounced a town that might have three syllables in it. In his language or in ours, he told the most simple, used the simplest of words available in his vocabulary. So I'm uh, affected by that as well. In fact, I'm going through right now retelling the the stories, the parables of Jesus from the viewpoint of the speaker himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in third person at all, but in first. So I guess that's where I would say it's in the blood and it's also in the divinity. Gene, let's plow into your book. 
uh, the first thing I want you to t- tell us about, the first story, the day I met Helen Keller, uh, fill us in on that. Okay, I was 19 years old. I had finished college. I had finished my first year in the seminary, and uh, I had been living in the Holy Lands. And uh, I was in Jerusalem. I had come to the end of my long stay in the Holy Lands and the travels there. And I got up real, real early to make one more trip to the Gordon Tomb. Now, that's one of those places where Jesus may have been raised from the dead. It's certainly the only quiet one in the Gordon, and it's beautiful. I did not expect anyone to be there when I arrived at 9 a.m. And someone was there inside the tomb itself. And I could not, I could tell that it was women. And I knew one of them had an American accent. But the other persons had the most most flat monotone I'd ever heard. So I waited, and just at this moment, the morning sun broke over the garden wall and shined right on the tomb entrance. And at that moment, the most famous woman in two centuries, not in one, but in two, Helen Keller, Mm. stepped out of the garden tomb. Her face was flush, tears all over her face. I had been hearing someone in there, it was she, saying something I could not understand. Helen Keller was a Christian. Her father and mother saw to that as soon as she could understand sign language in her hand. She had her pastor and lead Helen Keller to the Lord. I think she was around 12. And uh, she stepped out, tears all over her face, flushed, and glory shining all over that woman's face. Mm. She had both hands stretched out to heaven. She had her face tilted back. And she kept repeating these words. I knew that I had just met Helen Keller at one of the high points of her life. Mm. I stepped forward, and uh, I heard what she said. I couldn't believe the words she was speaking. For someone who had never heard a word in all her life, had never seen a light in all her life, And by now, I was in tears, and I had my hands up to the heavens, and I heard what she said. I couldn't. There's no way in the world to describe that moment. It was one of her greatest moments of life. It was one of mine. What she was saying, there is no darkness here. Mm. as she stepped out of the tomb. Uh, it was it was a rapturous moment. 
I spoke to her a few moments. She spoke to me. All of this went through Helen Keller's hands uh, to the lady who had taken Ann Sullivan's place. So it was her guardian, her translator, and it was an American lady. So I I dismissed myself and and left her to her moments of glory. Later I got to thinking about it. Why did she say that? Well, for one thing, it was <laughs> it was the resurrection tomb of the Lord. At least it's one of those places that it's the one everybody likes. All the others inside old musty old churches. And that gave me some idea. She had been taken into mildew, smelly uh, rooms and been told this was where the Lord was resurrected. And the rooms were smelly and dark and you had to hold a candle to get inside of them. And she was in a tomb where she could feel the morning sun coming through the walls of the tomb and then upon her face. But she was also a Christian. And this was her moment to really know what it was like to stand in the tomb of where the Lord rose from the dead, and it was a moment of glory for her, and though she has never seen anything, she was giving tribute to a resurrected Lord. There's no darkness here. And you know, that happened to me a long, long time ago. Pat, she died two day, two years later, and uh, today I am, well, at least six generations, <laughs> six decades after that, and uh, I've never forgotten that moment, and whenever Easter comes along, because this took place in April mm-hmm. of 1951. My guest is Gene Edwards. We're talking about his book, Stories I Love to Tell. More with Gene right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Here's a secret couples therapists want you to know. Happy couples sleep better. I'm Trina Webster, co-founder of Z-Quiet. And I'm Dan Webster. I love my husband, but his snoring was like an alarm clock waking me up all night. My snoring was pretty bad. We were desperate for a solution, and we finally found it with Z-Quiet. It literally changed our lives. With Z-Quiet, we wake up rested and happy and, best of all, in the same bed. Z-Quiet couldn't be easier to use and works immediately. Z-Quiet comes with a 30-night better sleep guarantee. You have nothing to lose. For 10 years, we've been saving relationships one night at a time. Don't wait another night. Go to GetZQuiet.com today. Z-Quiet fits both men and women. Try it risk-free for 30 days for just 995 text sleep to 246810 or go to getzquiet.com try it risk free for 30 days for just 995 text 
sleep to 246810 or go to com. Walking down the street one day, you encounter a man. He is dressed in white patent leather shoes with silver side buckles and dark brown socks. His trousers are burnt orange bell bottoms. Wrapped provocatively around the elastic waistband is a Harvest Gold utility belt with a large Elvis commemorative buckle. His shirt is avocado green with the name Lou embroidered just above one pocket. And suddenly, it hits you. This has to be the guy who designed and decorated your kitchen. You resist the impulse to confront him and instead call Gold Key Cabinetry at 407-232-7144. Gold Key Cabinetry will design, custom build, and install the kitchen of your dreams. No matter how large or small, Gold Key Cabinetry can take your dream from paper to reality. But don't take our word for it. See what their customers have to say about them. Log on at goldkeycabinetry.com. Gold Key Cabinetry has been serving Central Florida for over 34 years. Call today for your free estimate, 407-232-7144. Online at goldkeycabinetry.com. From dream kitchen to reality with Gold Key Cabinetry. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Gene Edwards is in Jacksonville. His new book is out, Stories I Love to Tell. Gene, uh, the next story I want you to tell us about is The Miracle at the Wailing Wall. Oh, that's pretty amazing. I will. I only heard this story once Mm -hmm. in a restaurant. But it was very clear, and I'm going to tell it exactly as I heard it. This is a young man who's Jewish, and he could not get along with his father almost from their childhood. And they, they fought constantly. They did not like one another. And one day she, he came to tell his father something that he knew, any devout Jewish person might well disinherit him. He said, uh, Dad, I have accepted Christ as my Savior. And sure enough, his father told him to leave the house. Mm. He would never utter his son's name again. He never wanted to hear him or hear anything about him and to go. Well, uh, years later, this Jewish Christian made a trip to the Holy Lands. And he was standing at the Wailing Wall. And uh, people who go to the Wailing Wall will write a prayer and stick it into the cracks mm-hmm. of the wall, ancient wall there. And any time you go there, you'll see hundreds, perhaps thousands of notes written and placed into the wall. And I understand uh, late at night the keepers come and and take some of them out, but they never take all of them out. And so he put his prayer into one of the whack, uh, cracks of the wheeling wall. When he did, he dislodged one of the prayers. So he had to pick it up off the ground. And his thought was, I wonder what language this is in. I hope, I hope I'll be forgiven for peeping. He recognized the handwriting immediately. It was his father. Mm. And he read the prayer. 
I do not know where my son is. If it is all possible, let me find out where he is, for I haven't heard about him since he became, you became his Lord. I need to tell my son to forgive me Mm. for all the fights we've had, and I want to tell him that I have become a Christian as well. Mm. And so the young man, he kept the prayer. (laughs) He returned to the United States immediately. He found out where his father was, and he had those two prayers in his hand. His prayer was, let me see my father one more time and ask him for his forgiveness for the way I have thought from him ever since I was young. And the other one was the prayer of the father, please let me see my son again and let me tell him that I have become a believer in Christ and I'm asking for his forgiveness. So I would say the chances of that happening Mm. are astronomically impossible. And that's the miracle that took place at the wedding wall. There are 26 stories in this book. I put 26 stories together with a hope and a belief that these were 26 stories that can and should transform the life of anyone who reads this book. Well, Gene, we're not going to have any chance to cover all 26, but uh, you've given us a wonderful taste of what's in the book. Uh, With that in mind, tell me about, thank God, you got off the phone. Okay. Uh, This one is quite also remarkable. It's a pastor way out in a village, long, far away from any hospital, or even a doctor. And his son's throat closed up, and he couldn't breathe. Mm. Well, he called the nearest hospital, and they said, no, we can send an ambulance, but it will take at least 30 minutes before he gets there. Well, he knew he only had about two minutes left of this child's life. He tried some other phone calls, and then he stopped, knowing that his child was close to death. And he said that he had been, he had been delivering messages to his church on prayer. So he stopped hung up the phone and said, Father, thank you for giving my son and for all the joy we've known in having him. If you take him, and that's your will, take him. If you can work a miracle here, work a miracle. Phone rang. And it was the hospital, and the hospital said, Thank God you got off the phone. There is a doctor visiting his mother in your village. Well, he knew it was too late. He wouldn't find this place, but he asked for the name, the address of where the man was. And it was the name of a doctor, and he gave the address. I knew this was hopeless until he looked at the address. 
and the address was next door. He grabbed his child and came, one word spoke when he walked into the living room where the doctor was. The doctor grabbed his bag. And that word is, I don't know what that word is, but it has to do with the trachea. And a few moments later, his son was breathing normal because a doctor just happened to be in the home next door. Mm. Thank God he got off the phone or his son would have died. He hung up to pray his last prayer for his son, and it brought forth the miracle that was there. So that's the miracle of a boy, a little boy who almost died simply because a father stopped to pray. So that's another one of them, and I think I can say to you, all of them are that powerful. If we have time, and if we don't, let me know. Uh, the lady who was doing the typing for this book for me said, Jean, her name, oh, she told me not to ever tell his name. She said, I'd like to tell you a story. She said, uh, my daughter was diagnosed with cancer of the heart. I had never heard of that in my life. Neither have I. And and at the same time, had cancer of the liver. Mm. So the time to have the daughters operated on, she called her pastor and the pastor and the staff where she worked was at a church, and everybody started to pray. So the husband and the wife, sat there waiting to get the news of their daughter. And uh, I'm sorry, but I get get kind of carried away myself here. Uh, The two surgeons came out. Now, I don't know about you, Pat, but I know there's one place you never go. You're never allowed into an operating room. A layman just doesn't go there. And... It said, by vote of the people present in the operating room, we have all asked that you would come in. We have something to tell you, and we all want you to hear it. So they walked in, and their daughter was there, and she had been closed up, or there was, but she was, of course, sleeping because she had an anesthesia. And uh, the doctor said, I want you to look at these x-rays. They were taken this morning. Your daughter has cancer of the heart. And look at this. That's cancer of the liver. And then she said, he said to them, I want you to look at these two. These were taken about 20 minutes ago. That's your daughter's heart. There is no cancer. And here is your daughter's liver, and there is no cancer. And then he went on to say, I know what liver of the heart looks like. I know what 
uh, cancer, cancer of the heart looks like, what cancer of the liver looks like. I have seen them almost a hundred, maybe over a hundred times, and I operate on them. Sometimes there's success, but usually the patient dies. I am telling you right now that your daughter has no cancer in her body anywhere. Mm. Look at the blood test. There is no cancer in Mm. your child. The only thing that we can attribute this to is God. Mm. Well, you know, they call it spontaneous remission, but that doctor did not call it spontaneous remission. He called it what it belonged belonged to. It It was God who in that morning had completely swept that little girl free of all cancer. So that's the story of what the doctors found in the operating room. And I would say I'm pretty well guarantee you that all of the other ones are uh, as as dramatic and as real and as unbelievable. I would say this. I won't tell you one thing. I hope everybody who's listening will get this book because there's absolutely nothing like it. And the people who have read it, even though it's just come out, uh, have just been so kind in hearing about what it's done in their lives. But the first one... uh, I bet someone, I'm a minister, but I bet it, I think it was a penny, I don't know, that you can't read that one and not cry. Mm. Well, Pat, I'm telling you something. You can't read number one without crying. It is It is one of the most incredible stories I think any of us will ever, ever hear as long as we and it's entitled Poor White Trash. Well, that's how you open the book, Gene. Um, yes. Let me just say this, folks. You've been listening to Gene Edwards. He grew up in the oil fields of East Texas, graduated from university at 18, later became a well-known church planner and writer. His stories include his own, how God took a skeptic and turned him into a believer and how miracles transformed his life and ministry. This new book is out. It's a Thomas Nelson imprint. Stories I love to tell. By the way, Gene, if people have a great story, uh, are you open to having them reach out and sharing it with you? Gene Edwards has been our guest. Uh, We're back for more, folks here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, We do this show every weekend right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word. Always have a series of interesting guests who have stories to tell and insights to share with us, and we're always very, very pleased uh, when you visit. Uh, Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And my most recent book is out, 
It's called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. It's in bookstores now. Uh, We're back for more right after this. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. And AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Uh, Gene Edwards, our guest in that first half hour, talking about his book, Stories I Love to Tell. Uh, Gary Thomas is with us. Uh, He is the writer-in-residence, also serves on the teaching team at Second Baptist Church in Houston. And uh, we're going to talk about his new book, Loving Him Well. Uh, Gary, thanks for joining me. How are you? Glad to be here, Pat. Thank you. Practical advice on influencing your husband. Why was it important uh, to write this book? Well, it really came out from a lot of women had read Sacred Marriage or gone to a Sacred Marriage seminar, and they get, Gary, I, I get how God uses marriage to help me grow. I get how God can use even a difficult marriage to build up my own character. But I want to be a positive influence to my husband. I don't want to see him just march himself off a cliff or do things that are destructive. How can I be a, a more positive influence in his life? And so that came out as sacred influence, and then that was 14 years ago. I got a chance to rework it and rewrote about half of it to what is now called Loving Him Well. You open your book with a chapter called The Glory of God in a Woman, Understanding Who You Are in Christ. Uh, what are you writing there? Well, the important thing for a woman, if she wants to influence her husband, is to have the courage that comes from sinking her spiritual roots deep. She has to know she matters not because her husband proposed to her, but because her Heavenly Father adopted her. That she's secure not because her husband's income will contribute to the family's coffers, but because Jesus said, I, I, I'll meet all of your needs. Not because her husband still delights in her and finds her attractive, but God says, according to Colossians 3.12, that he chose her, and dearly loves her. Because if she doesn't have her identity rooted in who God is, she won't want to rock the boat for her marriage. If her identity is wrapped up in her husband's immediate pleasure with her and acceptance of her, she's not going to want to do anything that that threatens that. And so the first step to influence someone else is to be strong enough to accept their displeasure, if that's what it takes, to get them to see life from a new angle. Now I want you to explain, be worthy of me, how God uses the weakness of others to help us grow. Here's a challenge on this. Women need to know that men are most influenced by people we respect. If a hat golfer who can barely break a hundred tells us to lighten up on how we're gripping our club, we're like, we don't care. If Jordan Spieth says, you know, I, I think you need to keep your lower body a little more quiet. Well, we're paying a lot of attention because we, Listen to him, and, and Pat, this is the world you live in and, and, and are familiar with, but when I worked with some famous athletes on helping them put some books out, one of the things that amazed me is how few of them wanted to take up golf. Their identity was in excelling in athletics, and if they didn't feel like they could be a great golfer, they didn't even want to play. They didn't want to be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And, and so when a wife makes her husband feel like he can't succeed at something, he tends to not want to play the game. Mm-hmm. And, and and so she's got to go, okay, how do I build up my husband's respect? A lot of things, spiritually before the Lord. Husbands value a woman who's centered in the Lord. We like that peace. We like that strength. We like that assurance. We like the timely word at the right time. 
and then just having a full life apart from us. That's where you see the glory of God in a woman that through a spirit he'll fill her with all of that. So then she becomes the kind of person that a husband respects, and respect is essential for a man to be influenced by someone else. My guest is Gary Thomas. Uh, the book is called Loving Him Well. Gary, explain the beauty of God's strength in a woman uh, becoming strong enough to address your husband's functional fixedness, whatever, whatever that means. Yeah, this is something that a lot of women are just mystified by, and that is the layout to their husband. Look, this really frustrates me, or this hurts me, or this scares me. And I think they've communicated as clearly as it can be communicated, and their husband doesn't change. He keeps doing the same thing. Functional fixedness refers to a spiritual state where the husband really isn't motivated by his wife's pain. He's only motivated by his pain. So she thinks telling him how much she's hurting is enough to get him to change, but he's like kind of frustrated that she's upsetting him, peace, that she's not letting him do what he wants to do. And he'll put up with occasional nagging, if that's the price he has to pay to be married to her, but it's not motivating him to actually make a change. And so functional fixedness is realizing, how do I help a husband who's only motivated by his change, under, uh, his pain, understand why this needs to happen in our marriage? And this simplifies it because there's a whole chapter on it, but basically it's letting the husband face the consequences of his own actions. It's not just telling him how this displeases you. And, and, and let me say, Pat, just as, as an aside, this isn't a mature man responding this way. Women should be empathetic toward our wife's hurt and our pain. We should, when they say something, just that should be enough motivation. I'm just dealing with what is. And so when a wife realizes, okay, this is the case of my husband, I can tell him clearly what I want to change and why, and he doesn't, then you may be dealing with functional fixedness, and it's just letting him deal with the consequences instead of all covering the basis for him, uh, covering up the consequences of poor choices he's making. It's letting him feel his own pain so that he'll be motivated to actually make a change. That if he does this in his marriage, this is the result. Explain to us accepting a man where he is, understanding a man's deepest thirst. When I am often talking to engaged couples, I'm kind of surprised because if I ask the engaged woman, well, tell me about your husband-to-be, she's often running. Oh, he's this, that, appreciate this about him so much, and I love this about him. Her, her mind is just filled with this great guy that she's marrying. And then I'll talk to a wife that's often been married 10, 15, or 20 years. I'll say, well, tell me about your husband. Well, he's not that. He never does that. He can't spell spiritual leader, much less be one. And it strikes me that she defines him by what he's not. And the challenge is, where does a man go from what he is to what he isn't in a woman's eyes? When does he stop being defined by what he is and becomes a fine by what he's not, and often it's the disappointments of marriages. It's the expectations we set up for marriage that a husband doesn't do that. But if a man feels flooded by disappointment, it goes back to what we said earlier, if he doesn't think he can win at this game of marriage, he's going to stop playing, and he's going to put his ego needs in his job, in his avocation, in a hobby, somewhere else where he's affirmed and where he's esteemed, and he's going to say, I've tried as hard as I can. Now, the wife may not feel like he's tried very hard at all, but if in his mind, 
I have tried to win at this game called marriage. Obviously, I can't succeed. If I want a decent life, if I don't want to go crazy, I've got to find somewhere else where I can succeed. So it's understanding that the first, one of the, well, not the first step, but early on in influencing a man is learning to accept him as he is. How can you learn to appreciate an imperfect man? How can you learn to see his strengths? Because if he, if he doesn't, he's not going to be motivated to, to change. Uh, I know a man who's worked a lot with the New England Patriots. He did a wedding for one of the players, and Tom Brady was at the wedding. And he had heard something about Tom Brady that surprised me. He just wanted to know if it was true. And he said, Tom, I heard that after every game you'll take a phone call from your high school football coach. And Tom said, that's true. I, I do do that. And this guy was shocked. I mean, Tom Brady, arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game, still taking phone calls from a high school football coach. And he said, why? And Tom Brady's response was very simple but illustrative for wives in regards to their husband. He says, because I know he's for me. Throughout the week, Tom Brady's performance is going to be torn apart by critics and sports writers and fans and, and whatnot. But Tom knows this is a guy, he's for me. He's been for me my whole life. So wives, if you want your husband to listen to you, before he knows anything else, he has to know that you're for him. If he knows you're for him, he's going to be far more open to hearing what you have to say when you want him to change. Now let's get into uh, this topic Asking God for fresh eyes, how can you know love with an imperfect man? Here's a couple things. It's realizing that as we marry someone, we start to look at their weaknesses in a different light. For instance, a woman's often dating a guy, and she sees the weaknesses, she sees the hurts, and she kind of feels a nurturing sense. You know what? I feel sorry for him. I feel empathy for him. I want to help him. But once she gets married, and now there are the expectations and what she needs out of him, instead of feeling sorry for him, she becomes resentful that he's not a full package. And so it's learning to keep that nurturing heart. You're not marrying a perfect man. Nobody gets to marry the fourth member of the Trinity. That person doesn't exist. So how can you learn to have some empathy toward his weaknesses instead of judgment? And some of the ways you do that, you learn to just give him the benefit of the doubt. Here's a classic case. Pat, marriage can be so frustrating sometimes that we just need to get rid of the silly things that aren't rooted in reality, but they're rooted in misperception. For example, one woman said that she told her husband, you know, that light bulb is out. She thought she was making a request. He thought she was making an observation. Now, she would rightly say, how does he not know I'm asking him to change the light bulb? But I'm just saying, look, give your husband the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's not being... Uh, showing a lack of empathy. Maybe, I, I don't mean to just be critical, but maybe he's just a little clueless. And I say this about myself. Sometimes my wife will say something. I'm just not picking up what she's saying. And I'll tell her, honey, just ask me. If you're direct about it, I want to please you. I want to help you. Just be direct. So give him the benefit of the doubt. Instead of jumping to the conclusion that this guy's intentionally hurting me, this guy's intentionally being distant, maybe he just doesn't really know what you want. Um, another big thing is just learning to accept that you live by grace through faith with your Heavenly Father, that God loved us while we were yet sinners. He sent His Son to die for us. And having received that grace, we've got to give that grace to others. In our heads, we know we can't marry a perfect spouse, but in our hearts, we often resent for how they're imperfect. 
So it's understanding that we've been saved by grace and we're to be married by grace, to show that same grace to our Heavenly Father. And one of the best ways to do that is to form our heart through prayer. People may be shocked by this, but you can actually make your marriage sick by praying the wrong way. If you're dwelling on all of your husband's shortcomings, and that's what you always pray about, and you're not asking God to give you fresh eyes for your husband and to show, to show you what God likes about your husband and how you can encourage your husband, if you're only saying, why doesn't he do this, why doesn't he do that? Well, cognitively, you're dwelling on all of his weaknesses, and that makes you feel less close to him. It makes you more frustrated with him. It sickens your heart. So learn to thank God for the weaknesses that you've taken for granted, things you haven't noticed before. But let them become fresh in your eyes. Let them become new. So you say, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to take it for granted that he works hard. I'm, I'm not going to take it for granted that he can fix this or that. I'm not going to take for granted that he's engaged in our kids' lives. Instead of only praying about what he doesn't do, make sure you begin by thanking God for what he does do, and that helps give you fresh eyes. Now, uh, Gary Thomas is our guest, the helper, embracing the high call of marriage. What's that about? Well, at the very beginning of time, Genesis 2.18, God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Wives understand they're created to be their husband's helpers. Now, that's not their only role. I'm a father, but I'm not just a father. I'm also a husband. I'm also God's son. I have a job as a writer and teacher. So I'm not reducing women to only being their husband's helper. That's, that's not true, and that's, that's not fair to who they are. But to be married is to recognize in God's eyes you are created in part to be your husband's helper. And it's not demeaning, because the Bible calls God our helper. In fact, it's a compliment. The reason that God can help us is because he has something we lack. And so when a wife realizes, okay, what do I have that my husband lacks, not to shame him, not to demean him, not to put myself above him, but I can help him in this regard. And so she recognizes, what are some common things I can do? What are, what are some things I can take off his schedule? And, and again, if you want to influence your husband, if you're helping him, he's far more likely to receive that. I'm for instance, I, look, I'm not a big fan of shopping, uh, and I knew I needed to get a watch, but I just never really felt like going to a store and, and looking around. And my wife knew I'd been looking for one for a while. She saw a picture of one in a catalog. It wasn't too expensive, which I didn't want to spend a lot for a watch. She goes, what do you think of this? I go, I think it looks great. I took that picture to a store. They ordered it. I got it. I had to shop maybe three minutes. I walked in. I showed them a picture. Can you get this? Yes, they got it. I really loved my wife that day. She saved me from having to look around for something that I really needed. My guest. And we'll be right back with Gary Thomas after these messages here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. It's Mike Gallagher. If you listen to my radio show, you know that I have shared with my audience my family's struggle over the years with addiction. I have 
loved ones who have fought the good fight against addiction. Thankfully, they're winning, but I know what that journey is like. If addiction is wrecking your life or your family, I want to tell you about a very special new partner of ours, Malibu Detox. Malibu Detox was founded on the basis of providing individualized care in a comfortable private environment. Located in beautiful Malibu, California, Malibu Detox specializes in treating individuals of all ages with addictions stemming from chemical and alcohol dependency. I want you to learn all about this extraordinary place, Malibu Detox. Don't let addiction rob you or your family or your loved one of one more day. Make the safe, confidential call to Malibu Detox and learn more. 800-280-1335. That's 800-280-1335. Call 800-280-1335 today before it's too late. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Kevin Picorni. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design right here, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Welcome to PostNet. How can we help you? Okay, well, I need 2,000 business cards, 5,000 pamphlets, and 35 table signs with a fold. And I need them shipped to Miami by tomorrow. Can you help me? Of course we can. At PostNet, we offer shipping via FedEx, UPS, the U.S. Postal Service, and DHL. And we support small businesses with printing, direct mail, designing custom logos, brochures, and more. We do it all here at PostNet. That sounds great. Let's do this. PostNet, Altamont Springs at Montgomery and State Road 434. Online at PostNet.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Our guest is Gary Thomas. He's in Houston. Uh, We're talking about his book, Loving Him Well. Gary, we've arrived at understanding the male mind, learning to make your husband's masculinity work for you instead of against you. Yeah. You know, Pat, so many marital disagreements aren't between two particular individuals. It's between two different genders. The male mind just functions and operates differently than the female mind. There used to be debates about nature and nurture, and certainly nurture can create greater differences in the way that we're created. But we now know, I mean, brain science has advanced so far, that the male brain just comes out of the womb very differently than the female brain. It's bombarded with more testosterone months before that child is born, and anybody can possibly socialize it. So it's just understanding the different way a husband works. For instance, what most frustrates so many wives is that when they express a problem, their husband wants to fix the problem, and they don't see that as caring. But if you look at the way that male and female brains are set up, females register empathy by reflection. It's, it's the way their brain operates that they show care, but I, I understand, I get it, I'm reflecting it. But there's something in the male brain that when we see our wives hurting, something clicks. I've got to remove the hurt. I want to help her. I want to remove the cause. And what wives need to know, while men do need to learn empathy, and I've learned this with my wife, not letting us try to resolve the situation or at least offer a little bit of advice is literally physically painful to a man. Neurologically, it causes pain and stress. I want to care for you, but you won't let me care. And so what I've had to learn with my wife, when she expresses a great frustration, my first job is 
honey, I'm so sorry, I get it, support her, pray for her, hold her, whatever it is. A few hours later, I can go back to her and say, this is for the guys listening, honey, I know what you shared, I'm really sorry, have you ever thought about this or that? If I separate it from when it's first shared, she's more likely to receive it, and I'm able still to do it. And this goes back when we talked about giving the husband the benefit of the doubt, wife. Because your husband reflects empathy differently than you do, don't assume he's not caring. He's just trying to care in a different way. For instance, when you want to show your teenage son that you really care about him and you try to give him a hug and he pushes you away, you're heartbroken. You're thinking, man, I want to hug him. That's the sign of caring. And he's not receiving it that way. Well, it's the same way for your husband. He thinks he's demonstrating care by trying to help you deal with the issue. To you, it doesn't feel like that. And so it's just learning a, a lot of these things about how the male brain works, how we handle conflict. And one of the good things for wives to understand, male and female brains tend to develop as we get older. So as men get older, we lose some of the testosterone. We tend to be less competitive. We tend to be more relationally aware. We tend to show more empathy rather than just wanting to solve the problem. And often some of the best relational years are ahead. So if you're willing to put up with this man, with all the testosterone going through him, all the competitive juices of the younger man and whatnot, you can have greater relational days up ahead. I think one of the saddest things I heard of was a, a woman who said that her parents had gotten a divorce. Her father had become a much closer believer, and she'd just seen him settle down. And she goes, I think what's so sad for my mom is that she lived with him during his worst years, and she's missing out on his best years. So recognize the way that God designed our brains, they face different seasons of life. When we have to be competitive, when we have to fix things, we have to go through it, hang in there, and you're going to really enjoy a different kind of man in the later years of marriage. Now it's time to talk about Ray and Joe taming the temper, part one, self-respect as a first defense against your husband's anger. What's that all about, Gary? One female therapist told me that she always asked wives, why does your husband treat you the way he does? And the answer, because he can. There's been a dynamic in your marriage when you're allowing yourself to be treated with a lack of respect and even anger. And Pat, let me just say here at the start, and it's painful for me to say this as a pastor, but it needs to be said, there are some marriages that I believe a woman needs to be saved from. My first job isn't always to save the marriage. If a woman is being actually abused, if her soul is being sucked out of her and she's being destroyed, there's a certain time when the church has to realize our job is to confront evil, not to preserve the platform for that evil to pulverize a woman. So in cases of genuine abuse, I would tell wives, this isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about normal anger with husbands who haven't learned to direct it a certain way. And wives learning to stand up for themselves that it's not selfish, because the reality is most of us men are ashamed of ourselves when we act out of anger, when we see ourselves belittle our wives and demean our wives, while emotionally it feels like an immediate release, in the end, we don't want to be that way. We don't want to be those kind of jerks. So it's learning to say, and in the case of Joe, who had a pretty angry husband, she had to get her own self-respect first. She had to say, you know what? God loves me. God chose me. You don't get to treat me that way. I, I matter. And I'm not perfect, and I might have forgotten to pick something up at the grocery store. I didn't put this away exactly where you think it's supposed to be put away. But this doesn't justify the way you're treating me. And so if you can't talk to me in a way that's not threatening, 
want you to go off, whether you go chop wood, whether you run three miles, whether you go ride your motorcycle, you come back when you're ready to talk in a way that's respectful, and then we can deal with what's really bothering you. Uh, let's talk about this topic. We've got a few more minutes to go here, Gary. Um, helping your husband become more involved at home. Uh, can you touch on that? Yeah. There's one woman named Pat who asked what she called the magic question. And this was very difficult for her to ask because the situation her marriage was, she felt like her husband was too involved in work and then too involved as a hunter and fisher. And he'd always say, well, hunting season is almost over. But, of course, then fishing season was coming. And so she felt like, look, you're, you're so involved outside the home. I don't think you're doing enough inside the home. But she felt God challenging her to ask her husband what she now calls the magic question. And it was the last question she wanted to ask him. And it was this, what am I not doing that you need me to do? And the reason it was so painful for her to ask that was that she had a hundred things she wanted him to do differently. But she found that by doing that, and she did it on two separate occasions, and, and that it opened up the doorway for him. And on guys, you know, we usually have a sense of fair play where he would begin to ask that of her as well. The first thing he asked of her, it drove her crazy. He said, I want you to be in a good mood when I come home. She said she was furious. She goes, look, I would rather you ask me to clean the floors, clean up the table, something, anything but be in a good mood. She goes, I have so much going on. That's not fair. But when she began to do that, and she began to own up to her own stuff, it created a new relationship with her husband. And she felt that question alone, instead of just focusing on what she wanted her husband to change, asking her husband what he wanted her to change, really ushered in a new time of intimacy in their marriage, in, in a way that surprised her very much. Gary, let's uh, get to this one. Winning back the husband who strays. <laughs> yes, well, here's the thing I, I tell wives. Um, again, men respond to strength. And if you feel like you're losing your husband, instead of becoming desperate, instead of acting like you have no life apart from him, the best thing is to show your spiritual strength before God, to, to have pleasure yourself, to make sure that you're doing things so that you have an inviting personality, that you're enjoying life. So basically you're saying, this is a life you want to be a part of. This is a life that you're going to miss if you ever leave behind. And so... It, it, it sounds counterintuitive, but if you want to win your husband back, um, you've got to learn how to live without him so that he realizes what he's missing when he leaves you. That's a very short answer to a much longer concept, but, th- but that's the whole notion, again, that influence is based on respect and, and, and what you can contribute to your husband's life. Gary, give me 30 seconds on what you want us to take from our chat. That a woman is powerful before God. She's not in her marriage alone. And understanding who she is in God can give her the strength, the courage, the power, and the wisdom to be a positive influence in her husband. That her marriage can grow. Her husband can grow. And when that happens, she's going to be even more satisfied in her marriage. Gary Thomas has been our guest, author of Loving Him Well. Gary, thanks a million for joining us. Uh, This has been a good chat. Thank you so much, Pat. Gary Thomas is the writer-in-residence uh, at Second Baptist Church in Houston, also serves on the teaching team. Uh, we've got to wrap up right after this here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word right here in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word. 
Legal representation is often about personal values. Hello, I'm Karen Eastry, attorney. For probate, estate planning, divorce, adoption, guardianship, issues concerning children and the aged, call me at the law offices of Alper and Eastry at 407-869-0900. I am a lawyer who not only speaks for you, I share your values with the experience, energy, and enthusiasm to represent you effectively. My ultimate goal is to help you reach a satisfactory conclusion to your legal problems, to find peace, and to be able to move on with your life. Call me, Karen Eastry, at 407-869-0900 or visit my firm's website, altamontlaw.com. My office is conveniently located in Altamont Springs, close to I-4. So call today to make sure you have someone by your side at 407-869-0900. Offices, Altamont Springs. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Folks, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In the first segment, Gene Edwards from Jacksonville shared some of his stories Uh, from his book, Stories I Love to Tell. And then Gary Thomas was with us from Houston, uh, giving some good counsel uh, to wives and husbands uh, in his book, Loving Him Well. Please visit my website, folks. It's uh, Pat Williams. uh, uh, The Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. uh, The website, patwilliams.com. And uh, my new book is out. It's called uh, Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. A look at John Wooden and his summer camps. Uh, some really nice insights into the legendary basketball coach, uh, John Wooden. Go up to Amazon and always a wonderful way to order books. I hope you have a great week ahead. We're back next weekend for more right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It is 94.9 FM and AM 950, the word in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.